0: or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to
1: 1996. Okay, once again, welcome uh, to the Gate Buddhist <clears throat> uh, At this time, it is our custom to go around the room <clears throat> introducing ourselves. Uh, my suggestion is that you pause for a little bit before saying your name so that people eventually can... Get Buddy's name uh, after a few go rounds. So I know it is difficult for me to. I know faces, I know names, but it's hard to connect them at times. Uh, after that, I'll introduce our speaker uh, and he'll give a Dharma talk and uh, we'll take it from there. So, my name is uh, Oswaldo Garcia. My
2: name is Jim Bucher. Dan. David Lewis. My name is Freddie. Josh. Evan. Anthony. George, I'm Jerry. Jose. Mike. <coughs> My name is Jerry Jones. My name is Cass. Gerald. Ralph. I'm Tom Brown. <laughs> Dennis. I'm Doug von cross Hank. <coughs> <George>. <coughs> Jack. I'm David. I'm Henry Rabinowitz. Peter. My name is Ben. I'm Mark. My name is Michael.
0: I'm Kay Matsuda. Patrick. Lee Stewart. Jerry Castro Paul. Craig
3: Munzel. Peter. I'm Wayne. Mike.
1: <coughs> I'm Jeff. <John. coughs> Lee Robbins. Snar. Brad. <laughs> I think we got everybody. <laughs> uh, so it is my pleasure to introduce our speaker today. His name is Tom Moon. He's been uh, long associated with uh, the fellowship. Tom is a psychotherapist uh, uh, that practices in San Francisco with uh, primarily gay clientele. Uh, in his practice, he combines uh, traditional Western psychotherapy with uh, Buddhist principles. Um, he uh, Writes a bi weekly column uh, in the Bay Times, uh, which is called The Examined Life. Uh, So, a lot of you may have uh, been familiar with uh, what he does uh, with those columns. Uh, And uh, and those, uh, well, he'll he'll make an announcement uh, if you want to get on the mailing list for for that column. Um, So, his talk today will be on the practice of heartfulness. Uh, So, welcome, Tom. Thank you. (coughs)
4: well, you're all looking exceptionally sacred today. (laughs) I said that to a nun when I was 14 and she slapped me. (laughs) The the only difference is that this time I actually mean it. Practice. uh, Practice. Um, I would like to try an experiment. I, I, I would like it if you would participate in an experiment that will last just a couple of minutes. I don't know how this is going to come out, but it really intru- the, it intrigues me. And it basically involves doing uh, two one-minute meditations. And I'll give... Uh, imagine like you're in a retreat and someone is giving you the meditation instructions to follow, and they'll be a, a little different each time. And I, I just want to see if there's any difference. And I'll, I'll end each meditation with this little bell. Okay. So is that okay? First meditation. Um, <clears throat> for the next minute, sit quietly, close your eyes, anchor your attention on the breath, and be mindful of whatever arises.
2: Okay, and
4: if you could just sort of check in and see what your state is, your emotional state, your mood at the moment. So the second meditation, here are the instructions. For the next minute, sit quietly, anchor your attention in the breath, and open your heart to receive everything that arises. So, uh, what I'm curious about is, um, were the meditations exactly the same, pretty much for you? Was there any difference in your experience of the two meditations? And if so, what was the difference?
2: Anyone? You know, for me, the <clears throat> the second one was more difficult. And I think, for me, the second one was more difficult
1: because... Um, It seemed more complicated to me. I don't really know. (coughs) Maybe I don't Hmm. quite understand what it means to to open my heart to receive something. I forget exactly. I'm kind of paraphrasing. Open your heart to receive. And um, whereas the first one, um, maybe the first one, I was actually opening up my heart because I wasn't thinking about it. Oh,
4: interesting. Paradoxical effect. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Other Lee? more or less the opposite experience. I found <coughs> the second one.
3: Uh, I felt more contentment, um, and it seemed easier. And it seemed what it seemed like was that the the resistance struggle was less. Mm. Things would rise up and they would pass away rather than stop that.
1: Great. thanks. Um,
0: so the first one, I found myself centered mostly on my thoughts. It was very inward and sort of closed, just observing what was going on in my mind. And, but in the second one, um, I felt more open to something beyond myself. So it was more outward.
5: Focus. Uh, great, thanks. Sir? money um, <clears throat> was similar to Tom's in the sense that the second one I could visually feel my heart opening, and so um, my breaths were deeper and wider. And uh, I just found it like I wanted it to last twenty minutes versus the minute. Oh,
4: okay, thank you. One or two more.
1: Uh, I noticed in the second one, I had a little smile growing uh, on my mm-hmm. face, and I felt just more at ease with what was happening rather than being it was kind of. But like,
4: oh, hi,
2: yeah, there it is, you know. Uh, I guess, compassion for, for what was happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: Um, one, one
6: more, OK. Um, for me, the first one felt very spacious, um, whatever arises. Uh, the second one felt demanding, somehow, mm-hmm. and uh, brought about some sort of contrariness hmm. for me. Mm-hmm that I had to do something particular. And so it felt a little tighter in, in
4: a certain way. Okay, okay uh, Can I ask, would you, how many people felt no difference between the two meditations? How many people? Just, most, so most people felt a little difference. Some positive, several po- uh, positive, some negative. <coughs> um, the reason... Um, I did, I talked about, I did this, is, you know, my my uh, work as a therapist often involves try, teaching mindfulness practice to patients, and um, who, for the most part, aren't Buddhists, they're not interested in anything Buddhistic, you know, they, they want to end their suffering, and um, they want some relief, and I found, uh, I had beginner's luck the first few times I taught meditation, people just took off, and all kinds of wonderful things happened, but then I began to run into trouble, especially with patients with anxiety problems. It's anxiety, Some people said it actually made it worse. Um, and they didn't like it at all. The practice was difficult. And um, so that kind of fascinated me. Uh, why is that? Because you know, I found this such a soothing, calming practice. What, what, what is it? And what I began to discover was, when I really explored with some people, was that it was the term mindfulness that threw some people off. Um, because uh, for many people, the term mindfulness suggests something analytical, emotionless, detached, aloof, indifferent. I don't think it does for everybody, but for a lot of people in our culture, mind you know is sort of non-physical. It's in here. It's uh, you know it's it's about thinking. So being mindful has something to do with thinking for many people. Um, whereas the term, so I began using the term heartfulness, I began saying open your heart to what's present and uh, up first, now, no, ever, no one's alike so there's some people who would find that and I want that you know. and I'm not in any any crusade by the way to change the word mindfulness is the term we use, the term we have but I, but I was just interested in, in what are the resistances with, with the patients and um, so I found that many people found the term heartfulness a little easier to, to take because the term, the term heart suggests something more warm, more affectionate. Um, so I began using it. What's interesting is that when I've uh, talked about this with some really experienced practitioners, a couple of monastics, um, a, a lot of them said, well, there's no difference. What, what is the difference between being mindful and being heartful? because you know in the, in the pali language the term for heart and mind citta are the same term you know they don't make they didn't make this distinction you know that uh you know we kind of think you know you feel here and you I mean you think here and you feel here i mean there's we don't really believe that but you know there's that sense that your heart and your mind are separate um the term you know uh for mindfulness is uh, sati, you know, which comes from the satipatthana sutta, and it it really means something more like recollectedness, you know, which is interesting Re- recollection. So because mindfulness is about, I, I think, remembering. It's sort of a coming home, a kind of a waking up. But if you say if you if you were to say let's practice recollectedness, people would think it was a a, a memory exercise or something. So it's just interesting the different connotations that the word has, but I've been, but I've been um, uh, finding in my own practice and with other people that if I if I remind myself that meditation is about heartfulness, it's a, it's as much about it's about opening the heart to to all that is here, um, that my meditation changed a little bit. And I, I see this in some other in some other people too. And again, it doesn't work with, for everybody. <clears throat> um, one of the things um, that uh, the, one of the reasons I think this is, is I found this important with patients is uh, has to do with the inner critic. You know, we're a very we tend as a as a culture to be very hard on ourselves, very judgmental. Um, Eckhart Tolle in the power of now, uh, says this, you've probably come across mad people in the street incessantly talking or muttering to themselves. Well, that's not much different from what you and all other normal people do, (laughs) except that you don't do it out loud. (laughs) The voice comments, speculates, judges, compares, complains, likes, dislikes, and so on. It is not uncommon for this voice to be a person's own worst enemy. Many people live with a tormentor in their head that continuously attacks and punishes them and drains them of vital energy. It is the cause of untold misery and unhappiness as well as disease. Does anyone recognize any of that? I mean, uh, I've met very few people who who don't have some kind of inner critic. I think it's a function of being in a very individualistic culture, a competitive culture, you know. And so most of us very early on adapt to it. By developing a, um, a critic, a, somebody, sort of a parental figure internally that's watching us, judging us in how we're doing in life, and uh, much of the time finding that we're not doing very well, you know. Um, and um, let's see, what was I going to say about the inner critic? <coughs> um, one of the problems with the critic is that while it speaks with a tone of parental authority developmentally we actually get it when we're about 5 years old we actually it's developmentally it's a very young kind of thing which is one of the reasons that its judgments are so sweeping and irrational you never do anything right you're a loser i mean it's it doesn't it's not an an, an it it it's very different from um adult kind of discriminatory wisdom it isn't that at all right and that's, what, that's one of the things that makes it so problematic. And one of the things that makes it so problematic to to deal with is that most of us also think deep down that we need it. I mean, I always when, when I when I question it with people, um, they usually say something to the effect that, "Well, I need it because if I didn't have this, I'd never get anything done. I just I'd never get my butt off the couch. I'd never accomplish anything." Um, you know and we have this idea it's in the culture that shaming blaming kind of threatening and judging motivate us you know i mean now psychologically that might not be very wise but it's it's widely believed that we need that we need to be critical of ourselves in order to get anything done and that um a more compassion, compassionate, allowing, kind um, approach to our lives. Um, we we we're not sure that we we think that would be a little, I don't know, hippy dippy or something. It, would, it wouldn't be so. It wouldn't work very well. <clears throat> um, But, uh, in fact, uh, the research shows that self-compassion has a whole lot of benefits. There is actually research on self-compassion. Um, it, it reduces self-criticism, lowers stress hormones like cortisol, in, uh, increasing self-soothing, encouragement, and other, uh, other forms of, uh, of resilience. Uh, it can also help to heal any, defi- any deficits in receiving caring from others in our uh, childhoods. You know that when when you develop a self caring when you develop instead of the, the inner critic more of a nurturing parent um, that it makes up it, it, to some degree for the deficits in feeling loved that we had as as children. So um, the other so this is one of the reasons that I um, encourage a lot of people to do heartfulness practice because. The inner critic is so um, is so um, pervasive in many people's lives that they're not even aware they're doing it. And so, one of the resistances to being mindful is they'll will sit down to be mindful, <clears throat> and then they'll start observing. You know their failings, the ways they lose memories of how they screwed up in the past. You know what I mean. Um, a lot of negative stuff will come to light, but not but they won't recognize that it's negative. The inner critic is kind of in the background judging the experience but they're just seeing quote reality they're, you know it's it's uh, because they're not um, uh, differentiated from the inner critic they're so identified with it so <clears throat> one of the things and one of the things to do in practice i I tell people is um, begin by noticing the attitude you're taking toward what arises, right? Um, notice, you know, you, you, you you're afraid, say, you're confused, you're anxious. Are you mad at yourself for those feelings? Because many people have a kind of contempt for their suffering. That's part of the inner critic. If you're suffering, you're clearly doing something wrong, right? Now, the, the the first noble truth is supposed to be really a treat a, the treatment for all of this you know it's actually a liberating truth all sentient beings suffer in other words just because you suffer doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong you, this is how it is you know, right this is this is our condition as sentient beings and so <clears throat> which which immediately suggests that the that the respond the the wise response to your own suffering, initial response, is compassion, is to open your heart toward it. So when the inner critic is back there, um, we're relating from it. So what we want to do in heartfulness practice is relate to it. Right? To see, to see uh, self-contempt, self-criticism arising, and to, and to be able to label it, say, so oh, there's the inner critic again. and then um, how to deal with it I usually find um, fighting with it um, doesn't work Jack Morton was here a while back he comes here now and then he talks about problematic sexual turn-ons and how um, the first thing people try to do with with sexual desires that they don't like is fight them which vastly adds to their power (laughs) you know um, what you resist persists <clears throat> the same thing is true with the inner critic that when we um, fight it get angry you know uh, it, it fights back excuse me i've got i've had laryngitis for a couple days so i may lose my voice in a few minutes, and then you'll have to talk um so what was i saying um, so the the um, the attitude i think when i the heartful attitude I see toward the inner critic that's helpful is to recognize it's there, first identify it, and then second, remember that the inner critic is actually trying to help you. It was something we developed very early on to try to help us get through life, not get into trouble, not do things wrong, and so on. So that it actually, ironically, very strangely, um, comes from self-love, paradoxically. Ultimately, that's what it, it, it was intended to do, is to help you. So that you don't actually hate the self critic, or the, the inner critic, you do, uh, send compassion into it. Um, envelop it in, when you see it, oh, there it is, and actually send compassionate energy into the inner critic. Um, counterintuitive, I think, for many people. Um,
0: <clears throat>
4: so. Anyway, what I have been finding is that um, in my work with clients is that is that I've started using the term heartfulness, and it really seems to help people more than when I use the term mindfulness. For many people, Um, not for everybody. And in my own meditation, it has helped too because I I remember that meditate really what mindfulness meant to in to the Buddha and his followers was about opening your entire being to what's here, right? It was not an activity in here. It was an activity of your whole being. I mean they didn't even know. No they didn't even know the thought occurs in here and those right? I and mean, that was not that's something fairly recent. Um, in fact most people felt that thought occurred here. The Pueblo Indians I mean this is a diversion. But anyway, um, when Jung Carl Jung visited the Pueblo Indians <clears throat> they talked about how the white man is crazy. Um, they told him the white white men are crazy. Why are they crazy? He said, "Well, they think they think here." Neither he said, "What do you think?" And he said, "We think here." <laughs> Duh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just very interesting, um, you know. And uh, uh, so, so it's about so it the the term for me opens us to a more self-compassionate heart-centered approach to practice. Uh, Not everyone needs to to think of it this way, but I think it helps with some people. Um, So, in other words, it helps you um, get an attitude, uh, focus on the attitude you're taking toward your experience, which which often is in the background, and focus on, ah, you know, I'm angry with myself for suffering. I'm mad at myself for being anxious. I'm, you know... So that so so that, that is is uh, front and center, and then it encourages you to send compassion into what you're experiencing. Can we do another um, brief? This will not be so brief. Uh, uh, what I would call a heartfulness meditation. Just take a few minutes, and um, and I'll I'll just demonstrate kind of what I mean by this, and see what see what see what it uh, how it affects you. So get into get into a relaxed posture, um, and close your eyes, and bring to mind the feeling of being with someone you know who really cares about you. It might be a close friend, family member, could even be a pet. Anyone you know with whom for whom you you have felt. The experience of unconditional love and let yourself remember what it feels like to matter to this being who wants you to feel good and do well in life and just imagine that that being is kind of behind you and is seeing into you and is radiating compassion into you. And as if, and it's as if they can sense everything you're feeling and thinking. And they're just sending waves of compassion into it. And let yourself bask in that compassion like a puppy in the sunlight. And let it open your heart. Now, um, bring to mind, say, a difficulty or some suffering that you may be experiencing in your life right now. And notice how you feel in your body when you remember that. Maybe the contraction or the pain of it. and. Imagine that this being who cares about you is sending waves of compassion right into the center of your suffering. Not to change it, not to do anything with it, but simply to love you in it. compassion sink deeper into you into your deepest patterns of clinging to yourself and completely surrender to that compassion by letting go of this visualization of the other person and just merging with the energy of compassion itself Merge with luminous wholeness beyond separation between self and others, deeply letting be. Notice any grasping in the body and let it go, surrendering to the natural power of the body to embody you. Let the breath come into its natural power, breathing all the way in and all the way out. Let the mind unfurl and fall completely open, free, all pervasive. Sense the boundless openness of your awareness that has no boundaries, infinite openness and translucence, pervasive and open like the sky. And let that meditate you. So, um, anyone want to comment on how that was, what happened for you? You have to say something, we've got 15 minutes left. <laughs>
2: sure. Uh, a mildly disturbing uh, notion that grasping was the point. That was the thing I was supposed to do. That was, you
4: know, uh, grasping was the point. How? How so? I don't know. Um, that there
2: wasn't even an amount. There was only a certain amount of, <coughs> of compassion, and I had to therefore grab onto it. Oh, that makes sense.
4: That's really important. That that's the that's what your mind does. I mean. So what I would do, well, I don't know what you did with it, but what I would do with that is note that 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 idea is there. Note how it makes you feel in the body when you think it. Don't argue with it or say it's true either. And just send your benefactor's compassion into that. That, That's how we work with these these kind of beliefs. That's really interesting. There's a finite amount of compassion we have to grab. Yeah, so you're not the only one. Mm-hmm. sure
2: sir? I had a sense, uh, similar to what you were saying, uh, in the uh, observation that people are often uh, uh, wondering, what what would I do without it? You know, my uh, in my case, I was uh, feeling a uh, sense of unworthiness, and, and my benefactor was uh, when I to feel their compassion. I like was discombobulated. I was confused at first. Well, what, 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 what? Then, but, but, but and um, when I could relax into it, then I felt a sense of relief and vulnerability at the same time.
5: Hmm.
4: There was a letting go.
5: Yeah. Hmm.
4: So it was a positive
2: experience. Yeah. yeah. Right. James? Uh, I, I was very, um, I was sort of moved at how rarely I do that, that I allow compassion yeah. to really penetrate into the core of my suffering.
6: Um, it felt like a totally novel strategy. Wow. Um,
4: and you've been meditating for years. Yeah, there was no effect. Was that the inner critic? I, I, or was, was it mine? I didn't mean to I, apply that.
2: <laughs> inner critic is too polite a term for what I
4: am. <laughs> what, would you call, what would you call it? The demon
6: of invalidation. <laughs> what, what, what was... Um, I, I remembered my dog, because I adored my dog, and his love was true, but... Um, I I disqualified his love for for to deal with my suffering because he doesn't know about mm-hmm. my my yeah. self and um, he just takes <laughs> that nice um, yeah. so he doesn't his love was invalidated um, because of the quality of my suffering.
4: Interesting. Yeah. So then you have to pull on a human being or somebody who with the well, no with the same level of yeah. confusion <laughs> <laughs> there's no help, there's no help. <laughs> yeah it's kind of and and I'll, and I'll keep working with this but it's kind of helpful. hopeless <laughs> isn't it <laughs>
6: <laughs> but, but, but that brings me to, uh, the I mean when I said there's the demon the of invalidation at one point I actually said get out of my house you're telling lies I just it, it felt like a, it felt
4: like an evil presence mm-hmm. um and, how is it when you do that? that? Is that good? Yeah, that works. It works? Yeah. Yeah. Um,
6: so the idea of befriending that extreme judgmentalism doesn't work for me. Yeah,
4: it do, I don't think it does work for everybody. The thing that happens, that, that um, most people that I work with uh, have at the beginning is they're really afraid of their inner critics. Uh, the, the inner critic starts in and they're going, you know, like a, a five year old being scolded by a parent and it's really um when you can begin to see it oh that's just the inner critic that's what i learned you know that's 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 not reality that's mm-hmm. this. and when you can begin to stand up to it and even yell back at it that's often progress um and and and, and to think of it as just one voice among among many in your head, not the, but it presents itself as the voice of reality. It is authoritative. It is the final word, right? Yeah. I like, um, what was it? The, the demon of invalidation? One of my clients called it his butt-kicking machine. There, and then in the 12-step programs, they talk about the committee. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why exactly. I guess there's a bunch of them or something. Panel of judges. A panel of judges, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
5: initially I like like the term that you used about bathing and compassion I I brought in an ex and um, it was too intense Um, Mm. I I know that's my issue of of not letting my guard down but then when I brought in my ex's dog who I get often um, I felt really um, relieved and I I felt all this unconditional love that I do experience when I hang out with his pet. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I don't know what that all means, but um, mm. I love my quiet time with his pet. Yeah. She wants to leave. That's why
4: we love dogs. Mm. 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 I use a dog in, in my, uh, this Samantha, this beautiful Springer Spaniel that was my friend's dog. And every time she saw me, she just went crazy. <laughs> she would moan and lick my face. It was like, you know, isn't, it, isn't this wonderful? You know. <laughs> It was great, you know, and I remember that, uh, and it really helps, you know. Mm-hmm. Although I, I guess I imagine that she can understand everything I'm feeling.
2: Mean, I just let
4: myself
0: think that,
2: you
4: know. You're right.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> Most of the time. <laughs> okay. um, one of the things about this. Um, any other? Um, any one else? Uh, this I got this meditation, well I, I got it from several sources, it, it, it's a shortened version of, a, of the Tibetan form of loving-kindness meditation. Because in Tibet, instead of phrases, may I be happy, may I be peaceful, they use visualizations. Imagine someone sending love into you. I have found that more helpful often than metta, regular metta meditation. Because again, uh, the phrases are thoughts, they're ideas. They do help to some degree, but I found the I just I found this form of imagine someone loving me. Um, Rick Hansen uh, actually wrote out the, what I read to you was from from uh, Rick Hansen. You know, he wrote the Buddha's Brain. He's a neuroscientist and uh, neuropsychologist rather in Marin County, who's associated with Spirit Rock. And <clears throat> what he says about it is that the power of this visualization is that the experience of receiving caring primes the circuits in your brain to give it, both to yourself and others. So that's the whole idea, is that you imagine someone loving you, and in a way it's a mental trick, because it's your compassion that is being accessed, right? It's, what's, it's all going on in your brain. But by imagining it coming from someone else, you trigger something, which, uh, and, every, and uh, every time you use these circuits, you know, they they become stronger, right? Um, uh, Neuronal pathways that are uh, used frequently strengthen, they start forming habits. So to do this kind of meditation on a regular basis, theoretically, should strengthen self-compassion. So, I guess what I'm saying about mindfulness, is what I've learned uh, about heartfulness, is what I I do now, whenever I sit down to do a period of, of mindfulness, is I just try to check in with what's here now, But also, what needs to be loved now? What needs my attention and kindness now? And another thing, you might even try this now if you want. Um, Another thing you can do is put your hand on your heart. Just that simple gesture of putting your hand on your heart can evoke a kind of um, compassion. Just, just, just the gesture itself, very interesting I, 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 how that is. Um, I wanted to say something about that. I forgot what it was. <laughs> um, so that's really, I think, all I had to say. I, I think um, maybe we could have a little discussion about some of this, questions, comments.
3: I'll, I'll add something that follows up from God about giving and receiving compassion. Uh, so I ended up visualizing my partner, but even more strongly, one of our cats.
6: <laughs>
3: and so the cat, this is the cat that likes to be petted and so forth. And it has now learned, without my attempting to teach it, to pet me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really? So it takes its little paw and it goes like that and, and it's also learned that no for humans it isn't good to bite them. They don't, they don't like that. So it's not really so it, it puts its paw and it pets me and it seems to like that as much as my petting it. And wow. I was interested in the reciprocity. Wow.
4: So that's a good visualization, right? Mm-hmm. To see your cat mm-hmm. going <laughs> Interesting how many of us use animals, people are hard, you know even <laughs> our relationships with people are so complex, even the ones we love you know and with animals, it all seems so much of the time seems so simple. It reminds me of it reminds us of the purity of compassion, how simple it is so that's so that 's the the main thing that that i 've been learning about heartfulness when I, when I use the term heartfulness it has helped me personally to understand how critical of my own experience I am. You know, um, you know. Uh, I, I think most of us to one degree or another act on the assumption that there must be some way of doing life so that it isn't so hard, right? And our suffering is um, evidence that we're screwing up. I mean it's a really when you, when you say it in plain English, it's obviously absurd, but it's back there, kind of in our unconscious, you know, that our suffering is um, shameful. So, so that's why I, um, I, I see heartfulness is so important. It's, it's when you become aware of, of suffering, to be very careful to pay attention to the attitude you take toward, toward it and um, if you're critical of it and so on, to, to really work at, at opening your heart to it. The thing about this meditation that we just did is that it starts as, as a compassion concentration practice, right? That you imagine a benefactor sending love into you. And then, as I went into it, it what happens is we let go of the visualization emerge with the energy of compassion and then you just open your heart and it ends with standard mindfulness instructions. Just be aware of what's here. What's really interesting to me is that if I start with making sure I'm being compassionate toward whatever arises, the mindfulness deepens. So that's why I, I always begin now with that. The mindfulness steadies because you know, there's, there are um, a lot of emotions, a lot of uh, things we experience which were contrary to mindfulness. Anxiety, rage, deep fear, anxiety, those kind of emotions get in the way of it. Um, compassion is one of the most supportive th- experiences we can have for our practice. And it feels great. Right? Although, I, another thing I've noticed, and then I'll then I will shut up. Um, when people start doing heartfulness practice, <clears throat> uh, in my office especially, what will often happen is that deep sadness will come to the surface. They'll feel deeply, deeply sad. And often will think that that's an indication that, well, I don't want to go here again, or that they're doing it wrong because I should be feeling wonderful, right? I'm meditating. Um, But really what 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 that that is I always see that as a good sign because what happens when people start the practice is often they realize how much suffering they really have. And accessing the, the basic the love they feel for themselves, the fact that they don't want to suffer, a sadness wells up. And if if you stay with that. Send compassion into that and let it be. The sadness is a kind of a relief. The, do you know what I mean? talking about. It? I mean, the, the the sadness is a is a is a really good sign often.
0: So it strikes me that this meditation is sort of the opposite of um, what's more common, and that is sending compassion out, right? Meditating, on sending compassion out to others, to the world—you know—these mm. circles, mm. these concentric circles that flow outward. But we're not so good at uh, opening up and receiving and coming in.
4: Mm. So, oh, I it. yeah.
0: Yeah, so I like this as uh, sort of the other side of the coin, you know, and um, and it reminds me of uh, a benefactor meditation I was led in where behind me was not just one person, but all my ancestors. You know, everyone who has built a life and had yeah. children and all in hopes of, like, everyone doing better along the way. Yeah. Um, even if they were a little, you know, in real life, it may not have been so nice, but imagine that they've moved on to a higher realm where they they truly have compassion. Yeah. And um, everyone's behind them, the teachers from high school who took an interest in you
2: and everything. And the whole army. Yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> that is how the Tibetans do it. It isn't just one person. It's and it can be the the whole the whole sangha going back to the Buddha, all the the generations of practitioners for twenty six centuries who are supporting you. And, you know, it's great. so um, and uh, again and the way they do the meditation, of course, is you do you you receive it first give it to yourself but then they do this typical uh, thing that is done in mental meditation where you begin sending it outward so you receive it and then you give it back to eventually all sentient beings you know your friend neutral person enemy and then all sentient it beings
0: become like a lens right where it comes in Yeah that's
4: the idea that's a long practice though we can't we couldn't do that today so I but the, but they also say that the first part is the most important because what you can't love in yourself, you, you're not going to be able to love in others. Because, in a way, you know, there being no self, what we're talking about are mind states anger, anxiety, depression, blah, blah, blah. And those are the mind states, not my mind states. Um, my greed, my delusion, my. And so if I'm going to be compassionate toward that in others, I have to deeply, be deeply familiar with it in myself and not turn from it, see it, know it, and have compassion for it. So that, that, that um, Alan Watts said one time, uh, sometimes we owe it to other people to be selfish. And when you mm-hmm. met with something like this, focus on, on um, developing your own compassion for yourself, and the rest begins to follow.
2: Um, that reminds me of the first retreat I went to with James Barris and Carol, somebody from New They don't hear her name so often. Well. And she gave the first, about three or four days in, she gave the first meta retreat. And it started um, with the people in the room and went out in concentric circles. And I was just all aglow and in an ecstasy. And she says, And now um, bring that same love into yourself. And I went, and I really felt I'd been tricked because there was such a barrier to bringing that to myself. I mean, it, it was so big and so glowing and and then yeah. to bring it to myself, it was like I really, in some ways, felt I had been tricked because I couldn't do it. You got mad. I didn't get mad but it was like uh, it didn't work so I thought it was some sort of Maybe I got mad, but I, I didn't feel I that anger as much as, darn it, I feel tricked, you know? And, yeah. Uh, and it's, and it, that really, really helped, that feeling, to realize I had tons of love for everything outside of me, and then bringing that to myself was so, so difficult.
4: Yes, and, and you're not alone in that, and, and that's why this kind of tries that it was a trick, to begin to imagine a benefactor, someone else loving you. And then you know, because actually you're accessing your own, you know, it's all going on in your own head. Um, but we're we're like that. We're very very hard on ourselves, and and often we can, we're much easier and forgiving, more forgiving of other people than we are of ourselves. Um, it's very strange. One more, and I guess we have to stop.
6: Um, I, I'm very uh, aware of how cultural some of this is, and. W- uh, in the, in the tradition that I practice, we're very, uh, we notice that, the, that these traditions tend to come from other cultures that have a different baseline mm-hmm. of um, self love or self acceptance versus our version of self loathing that is more prevalent here. Yeah. Um, so the idea that we would start with the compassionate practice to be able to sit, I think, is a given. In most cultures, just sitting meditation is, is, is yeah. an act of kindness and gentleness, yes. and, and um, a uh, touching of the, the tender heart. Mm-hmm. And we we tend to lose that because it's it's often not stressed in the uh, instructions that we're given. That's right. Which which need to be a little more culturally uh, sensitive.
4: But you, I think that's exactly right. Um, In a way, you know, mindfulness practice is—it's an an inherent, it's an act of self-love, and it's a practice of self-esteem because it's based on the assumption that what's going on in here is worthy of your attention, of your careful attention and interest. But you're right. I think so.
6: Just to just to comment on the exercise that we did at the beginning, when you say be mindful of what's arising, my translation from from instructions that I've been given is that already. Yes. So it, I just wanted to comment on that because it's, I think it's very different to give that instruction to somebody who has practiced, or, and we're, we all come from different traditions here probably, so our instructions have been very different, so the response to those, to the language, the particulars of the language. Right? That's right, that's that, right. It's very different.
4: I think uh, many experienced practitioners would see no difference between these two instructions at all. They they that's what it, that's what I'm doing in meditating, mm-hmm. is being mindful and opening the heart. They mean the same thing. The thing about culture, um, you know, there's a famous story about about uh, the Dalai Lama um, meeting with Americans who were talking about low self-esteem, and he couldn't understand the concept. Uh, he, he went around and said, "Do you have this? Do you have this?" All the Americans had it, and none of the Tibetans could figure out what he what that what does that feel like? Low self. How can you not, you know, very interesting um, how, yeah, this is very culture-bound, so, but since we're all Americans, that's fine. Uh, <laughs> okay.
1: Thanks so much, Tom. Uh, you. Do you want to make any, n- any announcements uh, specifically?
4: Oh, yeah, that uh, call, you know, I read that bi-weekly column. If you, uh, it's in the Bay Times, but if you want to receive, receive it bi-weekly by email, on the coffee table out by the couch there, I wrote a little sign-up sheet. You won't get any um, advertisements or political rants or cute puppy pictures. <laughs> It'll just be the call of every other one. <clears throat> OK, that's it.
1: And uh, let's hear
0: from our host. Uh, uh, in... Yes, so good morning. I'm Kim Matsuda, and I'm the host this morning. Uh, so please stay. Uh, for the, the social period and enjoy cookie and tea. If you use teacups, please wash them and put them back on the racks. And there's also a sign up sheet. Uh, so if you'd like to stay in touch with this group, please leave your email address and street address. And often, as the social period ends uh, uh, around 12.30 the people gather around the front door to go out and have lunch together. So if you're interested in doing that, look for that group near the front door. Door. And finally, I'll be coming around with a dinner and suggest the donation is five, eight dollars, and your generosity is appreciated.
1: Uh, to support this, so thank you very much. Any other announcements? Yes, sir. Hi.
6: Hey, Tom. Thank you very much for coming today. It's always a pleasure to hear you. Thank you. And next week, uh, we have open discussion, and usually the facilitator has a topic. We break up into groups, and it's a great way to get to know other people in the sign-up.
1: No other announcements, so uh, I guess it's time for us to yeah hands <laughs> in a circle. Um, now, who would you like to lead us into? Um, um, and, uh, other, uh, otherwise, uh, yeah,
4: why are, are just, you doing? <laughs> I read this thing okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> by the power and truth of this practice, may all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. May all be free from sorrow and the causes of sorrow. May all never be separated from the sacred happiness, which is without sorrow. And may all live in equanimity without too much attachment or too much aversion and live believing in the equality of all that lives.
0: Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live, please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.